Welcome to Real Life Church. For more information about our ministry and available resources, visit us online at reallifeankeny.org. Now let's join this week's service already in progress. Our scripture for today is from uh, the second chapter of Titus, verses 1 through 14, and 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. You must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them as an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. And now 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Let's pray. Lord, we just ask you to come into this place this morning with your word and your spirit. Uh, Please open our hearts and our minds to all those truths that that you know that we need to hear and and that we need to follow. Um, Please be with Reed today as he delivers your message. We want that message to have impact not only to those who are here in this church today, but, but, but to others in the community who hear of it as well. Just help each of us to, to be your instruments this week, to carry your service and your teaching to other people, and to, to live our lives in imitation of you, Lord. We come to you as a grateful people this morning, Lord, for all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, John. We've been going through a series on the church, and this morning we're going to talk about holiness in the church. A man by the name of J.C. Ryle wrote an excellent book called Holiness, Its Nature, Hindrances, Difficulties, and Roots. And he began the book by saying, I am sure that I might have chosen a more popular subject. But I feel deeply that I could not have chosen one more profitable to our souls. And so I just say amen to that. I know I could talk on something that would be more popular, but I'm not sure that I could pick something that would be more profitable for each one of our lives. And I'm going to talk on holiness in the church today because I do feel that it is deeply a deeply needed message in the church, uh, something the church today uh, desperately needs to hear about. About a year ago or so, I was uh, waiting for an estimate on my car. And I overheard a phone conversation that the estimator was having with somebody. I don't know what it was all about, but he was really upset. This conversation was just filled with four-letter words, curse words, foul language, as bad as you can imagine. And I sat outside his office thinking, 
how lost and how needy this poor soul is and how badly this man needs a savior. Well, about that time, another customer walked in to his office ahead of me and this man who had just cursed God so profusely said to him, Hey, how you doing? I remember you from our small group at church. And when I heard that, it kind of shocked me. And so I began to think, is knowing Jesus supposed to make any difference at all? Uh, Does being in the church of Jesus Christ, does being saved people affect how we live or how we speak at all? Does it have any bearing on our sexual behavior? Does it affect our responses to life, to people, to injustice? And why does the church of Jesus Christ so often seem to be more conformed to the world than it is to God? Well, in a large degree, the answer to those questions is that we have neglected our calling to be holy. Many Christians today are not even taught that we are called to be holy. Paul wrote to to the Corinthians, to the church of God at Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy or called to be holy people. In many ways, this is our core calling. The church is to share God's character and to be conformed to his son. Hebrews 12 verse 10 says, God loves us as a father. And disciplines us for our good so that we may share in his holiness. Holiness is where our loving Heavenly Father is taking us. It's it's his purpose. It's his goal. It's his game plan, if you will, for your life. Paul said in Ephesians 5 that Christ gave himself up for the church to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of water with the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Jesus Christ went to the cross to make the church holy. He gave himself up for the church to make her holy, as it says in Ephesians 5. Certainly holy in God's sight by covering our sins with his blood. And that's the only way that we can ever be seen as holy and blameless in God's sight. But as we read through the book of Ephesians, we see that we are, he also, the the, the purpose also is that we would be holy in how we live. I mean, it, it is a holiness that is to be lived out. The very word holiness may sound strange to our ears. A young guy by the name of Tyler Brown has written a book on holiness. And in it he said, holy, holy, H-O-L-Y, is a four-letter word that this generation of Christians has avoided. Leonard Ravenhill said, we are more afraid of holiness than sin. Some people are so afraid of appearing holier than thou that they will sin just to show that they are being real or one of the guys. Sometimes I sense this pushback when we talk about being holy. Almost immediately, uh, the response is, well, nobody's perfect but Jesus. Absolutely true. Or, well, we're still going to sin until Jesus comes. Also true. But didn't Paul pray that we would live in a manner worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way? Did He not tell us to live in a manner worthy of the gospel? Does the Bible ever say, ever say that, well, you can never live a godly life, so just go on sinning, and when Jesus comes, we will all get fixed? We are not called to be absolutely sinlessly perfect, but we are called to live in a manner worthy of the Lord. I think we also push back against the message of holiness because we are just so aware of our own weaknesses and our tendencies to sin, aren't we? And I understand that. 
But God has made a way for his people to be holy. And holiness is good news. It is not bad news. We should welcome this. This is a message to be welcomed, even though we feel and know that we struggle with these things. The very nature of the church calls for godly conduct. And I'll be honest with you, a lot of my message this morning is going to be to sell you on holiness. Because, honestly, a lot of the messages that we get, even in the Christian world, don't do that. But the very nature of the church calls for godly conduct. First, the church is Christ's body. We've talked about that. We who are in the church are members of Christ. We are members of Christ's body. So Paul says when there was sin at a certain church, he says, Shall I take the members of Christ and unite them to a prostitute? Never. And you can ask the same question about any behavior. As a member of Christ, as a member of Christ's body, united to Christ and with Christ, shall I slander, shall I grumble, shall I rage with anger? So the church is Christ's body, and that has an effect. That in itself calls us to godly conduct because we are united to Jesus. Second, the church is God's house. 1 Timothy 3.15 says, I am writing you these instructions so that you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household. Now, he, wasn't, he didn't mean by that. When I was a kid and heard that verse, I used to think, well, that meant how you're supposed to conduct yourself in the church building. You know, that's not what he's talking about at all. He's saying that we are God's house. We, as the church, we are the house of the living God. And there's a certain kind of a conduct that is appropriate to those who are in the church, the house of the living God. So the reason that you speak in a civil way to your spouse, and maybe not just in a civil way, but in a kind and loving way to your spouse, the reason that you respond with grace to an insult or an offense, the reason that you say no when there is pressure to sin is because you are in the church. The church of the living God, which is God's house. Well, what is holiness anyway? The word holy literally means to be set apart for God's use. J.C. Ryle said, Holiness is the habit of being one mind with God, agreeing with God, hating what God hates, loving what God loves, and measuring everything in this world by His word. He who most entirely agrees with God, he is the most holy man. Pretty good quote from J.C. Ryle. Holiness is conforming to the will of God in attitudes, in words, in your ways of doing things. It is being careful about your tongue, your temper, your thoughts, your imagination, your motives, and your conduct. Last week, when I was already well into preparing my thoughts for this message, one day, I don't remember what day it was, but I went into my office, I felt like I was super far behind and had a lot of work to do, and I went into my office and I said out loud to myself, Reed, you've got to block out all interruptions and get this work done. Just shut the door and work. And just a moment after I said that, Cindy came and knocked on my office door and said, I have something really big I need you to do for me. I said, sure. <laughs> but I, I heaved this big sigh of exasperation. You know, just like, oh man. Well... Fortunately, because I was working on this message, I immediately knew that that was not a holy response. And I share that because I want to communicate so clearly that holiness is not just not going to certain movies. It is not just not getting drunk. It is reflecting the character of God in all our attitudes and our responses. 
Rejoicing in the Lord is being holy. Did you know that? Because it is conforming to the will of God. Being anxious for nothing is being holy. Because it is conforming to the will of God. Singing praises to God is being holy. Because singing and making music in your heart is something that God tells us to do. It's conforming to the will of God. So, it is these kinds of things along with abstaining from sexual immorality, avoiding drunkenness, filthy speech, angry outbursts, etc. Now, before we go any further, it is important, very important, that we see that no one can save himself by trying to be holy. We came into this world with a deeply rooted disposition or predisposition to sin. We were all born with Adam's disease. And our sin has not only produced a burden of guilt on our own conscience, it has earned us the death penalty. It has earned us a penalty of death before our holy God. And there is no way that you can free yourself from your your own sin. There is absolutely nothing that you can do to escape sin on your own. There's no program, no good works, no effort to try to be holy can save you or deliver you from sin and the consequences of sin. It is only by trusting in Christ to save you that you can be saved and forgiven and accepted in God's sight. Also, it is important to see that if Jesus has saved you, then you go on this journey of being made holy with the security of knowing that you are accepted, forgiven, and beloved of God before you have done anything. Terry Virgo said, it is like winning before you start. You have peace with God. You are justified freely by His grace. The righteousness of Christ is given to you, and that righteousness of Christ is given to you not only to start your Christian life, but it is yours every day of your life. These are important truths. They cannot be overemphasized. We've done series of teachings on how great is salvation that emphasize that. But at some point, we do have to see that Jesus brought us into his church to make us holy. Jesus saved you. He gave himself for you to make you holy. Now we get to our passage, and I'm not going to teach on this whole passage, so you can uh, not worry, but we're going to pick elements of it to fit in with this theme of holiness. Titus chapter 2, verse 14, Our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do What is good? So again, we see the purpose for which Jesus Christ gave himself was to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people who would do what is good. Salvation is not an anemic, weak thing. It is not just a Theological concept, it is not just a word. Salvation is a powerful thing that deals with our actual wickedness. It purifies us so that we will actually stop doing evil and start doing good. Jesus Christ gave himself for that purpose, to bring us into a salvation that would actually change our lives. Salvation is a powerful process undertaken by Jesus Christ for his church so that we will actually become holy. Titus 2, verse 11 and 12, also from our passage. For the grace of God that brings salvation to all men teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Now, note that Paul says this is how we are to live in this present age. We all know that in heaven, we're going to be perfect, right? 
But in this world, we, we know that there is sin. We know that there's evil. There's temptation. We feel the weakness of our own flesh, don't we? Are we just to say, oh, well, nobody is perfect uh, and just go with the flow? No, Paul said right here and now in this wicked world, in this present age, we are to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives. Note that Paul said it is the grace of God that teaches this. Some people honestly think there is a dichotomy between grace and godliness. Like It's like we have a choice. Should we be godly or should we live under grace? I mean, some people actually, actually really think that way. Should we make every effort to be holy, as we're told to do in Hebrews 12, 14, or should we live under grace? But the New Testament did not see this dichotomy. In fact, Paul said, sin shall not have dominion over you, or sin shall not be your master because you're under grace. Paul saw grace as setting you free from sin's dominion. Terry Virgo said this, when, when God introduced the new covenant, he wasn't throwing in the towel against sin. He was revealing a new and better way of overcoming it. In the coming of Christ, grace appeared not to lower the standard, but to equip believers to rise to unprecedented heights. And there is... Believe me, there is so-called grace teaching today that our conduct doesn't really matter, that it is legalism to encourage holy living, that grace means no warnings, no instruction in godly living, no messages like I'm giving you this morning for sure. But you know what? This is really nothing new. A guy by the name of Walter, a preacher by the name of Walter Marshall wrote in 1692, He wrote this, What a strange kind of salvation do some desire that care not for holiness. They would like to be saved by Christ, but yet live outside of Christ in a fleshly state. They would like to have their sins forgiven, but not so that they can walk, so that they may walk with God in love, but so that they may continue to practice their enmity against Him without any fear of punishment. That's a pretty bold statement. That's not what grace is. The bottom line to use the wonderful doctrine of grace as a basis to accept and wallow in and remain in a low level of living goes contrary to all that the gospel teaches. 1 John 2, verse 1, and there's, you're going to hear a lot of scripture verses this morning. 1 John 2, verse 1, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. All right, if we do sin, do we have an advocate? Absolutely. And has, man, has great news because we all stumble or sin, Right? So if we sin, we have an advocate. Yes, absolutely yes. Shout it from the housetops. Memorize that. Count on that. Rejoice in that. Yet, these things are written so that you may not sin. Don't forget that part of the verse too. Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 34. Come to your senses and stop sinning. That was his counseling program for the sin that was going on at Corinth. You know, sometimes you wonder what to say to people, people that are just continuing and persisting in sin. Well, we might, you might try. I beg you to come to your senses and stop sinning. That was Paul's counsel to the Corinthians. To the church at Thessalonica, Paul wrote, 
it is God's will that you should be sanctified, or it is God's will that you should be made holy. Verse, uh, verse, or chapter 4, verse 7 says, For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. And just in case you doesn't, you, and just in case you think he doesn't mean it, he adds, "He who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God, who gives you His Holy Spirit." I mean, could could it be more clear than that? God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. And if if we reject that, if we stiff arm that kind of instruction, you're not rejecting any person. You're rejecting God who gives you His Holy Spirit because that's what He has called us to. Peter wrote to the church, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. That is what we are. A holy nation, a people belonging to God. What an honor. What a privilege. And he says, so that you may declare the praises of Him who brought you out of darkness into His wonderful light then he goes on to say, So then, dear friends, dear friends, I urge you to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day he visits us. We are a holy people, the church. We are a holy nation. So abstain, Peter says, from sinful desires. Ephesians 1, verse 4, God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. Certainly, we can ultimately only be holy and blameless in His sight, again, through the blood of Jesus Christ. But again, we see the purpose of God in choosing us. He chose us before the foundation of the world to be holy. And then we are exhorted throughout the last half of the book of Ephesians to live out this holiness. I, I, I can only pick out a couple of verses. Ephesians 5, 1 through 3. Be, be imitators of God and walk in love. Verse 3. There must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these things are not proper for God's holy people. See, we are, we are exhorted to be holy because we are God's holy people. He's chosen us and called us as holy and also called us to be holy because we belong to Him, because we are His people. And the, all these exhortations to holiness isn't in order to attain some kind of standing with God. It's because you have a standing with God, that you are exhorted to be holy. We are exhorted to be holy because we are His sons and daughters, because we are redeemed and forgiven, because we are united to Christ, because we are recipients of His grace. Ephesians chapter 4, You must no longer live as the Gentiles do. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God. In other words, you are not to live like the unconverted world. But you are to put on the new self, created to be like God in true, holiness, in true righteousness and holiness. There again, we see the provision in the new self that God has given us through the new birth. He says this new creation which God has birthed in you is created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And he says, put on this new self. Paul told the church at Colossae, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, you must rid yourselves of anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. To the church at Corinth, Paul wrote 2 Corinthians 7.1, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. You know, sin is not something to joke about or to play around with. Peter said, 
it wages war against your soul. In this verse we just read, Paul said it contaminates your body and spirit. So, holiness is good news. I mean, it's the best news that you could hear. It's the best way to live. There is a good reason to purify yourselves from sin. Because it's contaminating you. It's waging war against your soul. Maybe as we're going through this message this morning, there may be some area of your life that God is speaking to you about right now that you need to deal with this morning. He says, purify yourself from those things which contaminate body and soul. Maybe you need to deal with something this morning. There's just something that's been going on. You know it shouldn't have been going on. But it's just gone on and on. And here now this morning when we're talking about holiness, it's coming to your mind and God has put his, his finger on it and asking you to deal with it. And so do that. And again, this is good news for you. Holiness is your friend. Taking that step toward purity and holiness in that thing that you're wrestling with, that is like removing an enemy from your life. It's like removing a poison from your life, something that's contaminating your body and your spirit. So, holiness is your friend. Sin is your enemy. Sometimes, sometimes we almost get that reversed, like we talk about holiness. Oh no, I don't want to hear that. I, you know, that's, that's, that's no fun. That's, that's, that's not good. No, holiness is, is our friend. 1 Peter 1, 15 through 16. Uh, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. There's not just one little phrase or one verse somewhere in the Bible that calls us to holiness. I mean, it is the, the, the scriptures and the New Testament, the New Covenant, this, the, the gospel is saturated with this. Because it is the end, the end, one of the chief ends for which Jesus gave himself for us. But this verse in 1 Peter 1, be holy, so be holy in all you do. Because he who calls you is holy. J.C. Ryle, quoting him one more time, said, To be a true Christian will cost a man his self-righteousness. But it will also cost him his sins. He must be willing to give up every habit and practice which is wrong in God's sight. He must set his face against it, quarrel with it, Break off from it, fight with it, crucify it, and work to subdue it. He must take heed to his behavior every hour of the day, in every company and in every place, in public as well as in private, among strangers as well as at home. There is no time, not a day, in which a man ought not to be holy. That's just a very clear way of saying what Peter said, be holy in all you do. And Peter says we should live this way, for it was not with perishable things such as gold or silver that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, but with the precious blood of Christ. In other words, so much was paid to purchase your salvation, and it had such value, the precious blood of Christ, that the only reasonable response to this is to now live for him who died for us. In our passage in Titus, which we're not going to go through in detail, but just to point out how the emphasis was on godly conduct from every person in every age group, teach the older men to be temperate, to be self-controlled, sound in faith, love, and respect. Teach the older women to be reverent, not to be slanderers, but to be pure. 
helping to train the younger women to love their husbands and their children to be workers at home, teach the younger men to be self-controlled. In other words, we are all called to this life of holiness. I don't care if you're a truck driver, an athlete, a young mother at home, a business guy. Every one of us is called to this life of holiness in all that we do. All right, I'm going to wrap up this morning with four reasons for holiness. We've touched on these, but I really want to crystallize them in our thinking. Number one reason for holiness, it is the happiest way to live. I truly believe that. People living godly lives are the happiest people on earth. Woodrow Kroll, who has a radio broadcast, I can't remember if he's with Moody or what, but I just happen to hear it once in a while. And he always ends his radio broadcast, have a good and a godly day, because you cannot have a truly good day unless it is also a godly day. And that is really true. That is so true. Your best days will be your most holy days, when your attitudes and words and life are most conformed to the will of God. I am totally convinced that the very best thing you could do for your marriage is to live a holy life in your home. The best thing you can do for your own soul is to live holy. The best thing you can do, I believe, for your emotional well-being, for so many areas of life, is to be holy. It, it's, it's a benefit. What did Paul say? Um, bodily exercise profits a little bit, but godliness... Benefits you in every way, basically. Number two reason for holiness. It is the way that the church makes the gospel attractive. Today, there's a great emphasis in the church on making the message attractive by eliminating anything about sin and certainly about holiness. But Paul says we are to make the gospel attractive to others not by changing it, Not by watering it down, but by living it out in holiness and in godliness. And that's really the emphasis of this entire passage here in Titus chapter 2. Paul says, to show integrity and seriousness and soundness in your speech, so that the opponents of Christ may have nothing bad to say about us. He was addressing slaves and he said, they are not to talk back. Not to steal, but to show that they can be trusted, so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. Or another version says, so that we will adorn the teaching about God our Savior. Our impact as a church depends largely upon us living a lifestyle that adorns the message. And what better reason or motive is there for living a godly, holy life in that we can, through that, make the message of our God and Savior attractive to those who see our life. Number three, holiness fulfills the purpose for which we were saved. We've emphasized this throughout. Christ gave himself up for you to make you holy. Is your life aligned with that purpose? Have have you given yourself up? Have you given yourself over to that purpose? Have you said, okay, my Lord and my Savior and my God, I see that you gave yourself up for me, for this purpose, that I would be holy, and I give myself over to you for that purpose. I would highly recommend that you pray daily something like this. Heavenly Father, work in me that which is pleasing in your sight. Equip me in every good thing to do your will. That's a verse from Hebrews 13. God, keep me from sin. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. Lead me in the paths of righteousness for your namesake. 
In other words, make me holy. Number four purpose or reason for holiness. Godly conduct is the only proper, proper response to Christ giving himself for us. Jesus Christ gave himself to be spat upon, to be despised, to be beaten. He, he endured the wrath of God, the curse of the law for your sins and for mine. He drank the cup. He sweat drops of blood and agony as he prepared to go to the cross and bear the sins of the world. He endured the Roman execution method of, of dying on a cross because he loved you. He gave himself for you. And we respond to that love by walking, as Paul says repeatedly, by walking or living in a manner worthy of the Lord by living for him who died for us. I know you see your own baggage, your own tendency to sin, and there might be some this morning just thinking, well, where do I even start on this journey towards holiness? How do I get there? And just want to give you three very succinct things. The first step is to repent of your sins and believe on Christ to save you. Only Christ's blood can free you from your sins, from the guilt and condemnation of sin. Only, only through believing in Christ can this process even begin of being made holy. Secondly, focus on your calling as saints, as holy ones. Remind yourself that you are a member of Christ's body, that you are in the church, the household of the living God. Remind yourself that you're a saint, a, that you're a temple of the Holy Spirit. Identify yourself as a man or woman of God. I love, you know, what Paul wrote to Timothy, but you, man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, love, faith, etc. But he, he, he refers to Timothy, you, man of God. See yourself as a man or woman of God, a new creation. And then third, pursue it. You know, go after it. Make every effort to live a holy life as it tells us to in Hebrews 12. Effort to be holy is not legalism. It's a work of grace. It's, in fact, you would never pursue holiness without a work of grace in your heart. If you are working out your salvation with fear and trembling, it's because God is at work in you. It's only because of the grace of God at work in you that is moving you and telling you and teaching you and, in, and enabling you to say no to sin. And certainly, we do stumble. And I hope nobody would mistake the, the thrust of my message here this morning. Certainly, we do stumble. We say something we shouldn't say. We get grumpy when we shouldn't. Uh, maybe we stumble into some sin very badly. But the blood of Jesus keeps on cleansing us from all sin. And what do we do then? We get back up. We get back up on our feet and we keep pursuing holiness in thought, word, and deed and living for him who died for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you um, that you've called us to be your people. And what an honor that is, and what an honor it is to be called the holy people of God. And we thank you, Lord, that you have undertaken a work to take us from lives of darkness and to enable us, to set us free from sin and enable us to live lives pleasing to you. And Lord, we ask, I ask this morning for us as a church family that we would recognize our call to holiness, that we would rejoice in that call, and that we would go after it with all of our hearts to please you in every respect. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to sing a song.
in ending this morning. I think uh, partly just to let Andy get in a couple more songs and the drums for us. But uh, we are invite you to... If you need to leave, fine, but I encourage you to stand up and uh, sing us a, a song or two with us here. <laughs>